as Christians, today, today is just, like, it is massively important, and you could probably make the argument that we are celebrating uh, the most important event in human history. And you may think, like, Christmas is the most important thing. Like, can I just tell you, there would not be a Christmas if there wasn't an Easter. There wouldn't. And, and let me explain that quick. If, if Jesus had stayed dead, we would not be anywhere. We would not be doing any of this. The movement of Christianity would uh, not have even began. Jesus' followers, when Jesus died on the cross, what did they do? They went into hiding. And they, they locked themselves in rooms. They, were, they didn't know what to do with themselves. There was not going to be anything from that moment on as it comes to Christianity. And this is what the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the Jewish leaders, this is what they wanted. This is what they thought. Get ri- cut the head off here of this whole thing, and we're going to watch this disappear. And all of that was taking place and happening until Jesus comes back from the dead. And the rest is history, and everything changed uh, at that point. And so I just say all this to say, like, today is important. It's important that as Christians, we celebrate, we celebrate the grave and the fact that Jesus is no longer there. And so I'm excited for the few minutes that we have together, um, and it's going to have to be on the little bit of the shorter side uh, of a normal service. Turn to your neighbor and say, I love it when the sermon is short. Okay. <laughs> Now turn back and say, I didn't mean that. Those are hurtful words, and Pastor Kyle is a little bit offended. Okay, there we go. No, but if you've been here the past few weeks, we've been, uh, like you've heard me say this, that the Bible is made up of 66 different books, and four of those books uh, tell the story of the life of Jesus. We call those the Gospels. Uh, They are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so four of the 66 talk about Jesus in uh, his life, and they tell the story of all the things that he did, and everything that we know really about Jesus comes from those four things. Uh, the names of those books of the Bible, by the way, are just, they're just named after the person who wrote them, if you didn't know that. Matthew and John were disciples of Jesus. Uh, they, and then later in life, like uh, individually, they sat down and they wrote out all the things that they remembered, and they wrote the story of, of the things that they experienced. And so just understand Matthew and John were with Jesus. They ate with him. They traveled with him. They spent time with him. They saw him do miracles. They, they heard him speak, and they sat in rooms and heard Jesus teach as a small group. The, uh, they were there when Jesus, at, at the Last Supper, they were there at the Garden of Gethsemane. They were there, and uh, John's account of the resurrection is the most detailed. All four talk about Jesus coming back to life. John's is the most detailed. He's also the only one of the four that has himself as a part of the story. And so today, we're going to look at uh, John's version of that day, the Sunday morning, Resurrection Sunday, when Jesus came back to life. Uh, John was there that morning, and I'm excited to show you that. So before we get to the Bible today, uh, let's, just, let's just pray together. And so will you stand with me all over this place, and uh, let's just take a moment, and we're just going to kind of invite God into this right here in just a real way. And so let's just pray. God, we We stand here just uh, amazed by you, what you have done, and uh, man, the the fact that you sent your son, God, to die is incredible, but your power that was shown and changing everything when you brought him back to life, and we celebrate that today, 
Uh, but God, we also just invite you into this moment. We pray that you would be glorified in everything that we say and everything that we do. Let your very word today from the Bible just uh, move in us and through us and do things. God, we give this to you in your name we pray. Amen, amen. All right, give somebody a high five and have a seat. I always feel a little bit smarter when I hold a cup of coffee like this. What do you think? <laughs> but I'll give you just a little bit of a hint. And there's no coffee in here. Uh, I don't like coffee at all. I think it's awful. And so that is hot water is what I'm drinking today. If you're wondering, some of you are like, that's the nastiest thing ever, but that's okay. Uh, a brief timeline of some of the events leading up to the resurrection day and the story, um, just to kind of get us started. 9 a.m. Friday morning. Jesus is crucified. Uh, the Gospel of Mark tells us that that is the time uh, he was nailed to the cross, lifted up. It took on average 18 to 48 hours for someone to die from a crucifixion. Jesus died in six hours. It's a very different, different than, than we read about in history. A uh, couple different reasons for that. Probably the most likely was the beatings and different things he took even leading up to it. And so Jesus was physically not just uh, nowhere uh, in, in a place to survive that. Six hours later, so 3 p.m. on Friday, Jesus breathes his last breath. And, and that matters to some of the story as well, and I'm gonna try to get through this really fast, but uh, Friday evening, as soon as it became dark, was a sacred time for the Jewish people. Uh, it was the start of their Sabbath day. It would go from Friday when it was dark all the way to Saturday when it got dark. The Jewish people could not work. They could not do, they, they pretty much, it was rest and worship is what that was. If Jesus had died while it was still dark, then the Roman soldiers would have been the ones who had taken care of his body because the Jewish people and some of his followers could not have done that. It was, it was illegal for them to do that. But Jesus dies before it gets dark. Uh, some Jewish friends take care of him and they put him in this grave. Uh, and, and so Saturday then, Saturday was quiet. Saturday was the Sabbath day. People were in their homes, worship and rest, mourning for some of them, but they were in their homes, uh, and that's what that is. We have nothing in the Bible about that Saturday. Jesus was in the tomb, guarded by Roman soldiers, but the Easter story obviously begins early Sunday morning before the sun even comes up. Sunday was considered to be the first day of the week for the Jewish people. We're going to see that come up as we open the story, as we read the story today. For the Jewish people, the first day of the week was symbolic, for them, it was symbolic of the, like the word new, new week, new life, new all of that, okay? And so there is some symbolism even in the time frames. Jesus, Jesus in the tomb on the day of rest and Jesus coming alive on this day of symbolic like new. Uh, think flowers, think dead coming to life. This was in there symbolically from on the first day of the week, okay? All sorts of symbolism here behind the scenes that you and I really miss because we don't, we don't do this in the same type of way, okay? With all that in mind, here's John's version of the story. And this is John chapter 20, if you have a Bible. John chapter 20, and we're gonna read verse number one. Here's what it says. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have 
put him. John tells us that this woman, Mary Magdalene, was the first one to the tomb that morning. Mary, Mary Magdalene is a fascinating person to take a study of and look at some of the things that, places that she comes up in the Bible. Uh, we're going to come back to that a little bit later. But John tells us the story that Mag- Mary Magdalene, before it's even light outside, on the very first day of the week, shows up at the tomb. Uh, it's still dark. It's early. She sees the tomb, and immediately she sees that the stone is, has, has been moved. Now, there is, a, there is debates over where Jesus is grave actually was when it comes to the Holy Lands and all of that type of stuff. Uh, the tour, tourist sites claim that they have that right there, and, but it's highly debated and all that, understand. Uh, but we can make educated guesses based on history and some different things of what this would have looked like. Let me show you a picture uh, of, of kind of an idea of what a tomb in this time and for that type of place would have looked like, okay? So notice kind of the massive stone uh, this, would, this is a big thing. This is not a little rock like this for, in a mouse hole. Okay? This is a beast of a stone. One person could not move it on their own. This is uh, taking men together to roll that thing into place. It was done on purpose. Why? Because, because people in tombs like this would, would come and, and, or people would leave uh, riches and things in the tombs of people like this. Jesus, even though he was a super poor dude because he, did, you know, uh, he was buried kind of like a king uh, because of some things that played out. And so wealthy people would put things in the tomb. Grave robbers would come and steal it. So at that time, they would put these massive stones in the way uh, so that it cannot happen. And so Mary shows up and the stone is supposed to be covering it. It was covering it. And now she notices it's like wide open. And John tells us that immediately she turns and she starts running. She sees this. She turns and runs. She finds Peter and someone else. Uh, and she says, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Verse 3. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. All right, a couple things here explaining some things. The other disciple, do you see that? We have Peter and the other disciple. Who is the other disciple? This is not even debated. Uh, We know that the other disciple is John. And if you're saying, who is John? John's the dude who wrote this, okay? And so he calls himself at this point, the other disciple. Earlier we read, he even said, the one that Jesus loved. And I suppose if you if you write your own little story here, you can call yourself whatever you want. And that's what he went with, I guess. Uh, John also wants us to know that he's faster than Peter, if you didn't catch this. All right? And so for competitive people everywhere, this is awesome. John's like, we, went, we set out together, but uh, the other disciple, you know, he's, and you can put him in quotes, totally smoked Peter. And uh, yeah, there we go. And so he says that. I love that. But he's talking about, he's talking about himself. Uh, Mary Magdalene finds Peter and John, says the stone is rolled away, the body's gone. Peter and John take off running. Uh, John gets there first, and uh, it, 
in all reality, when it comes to John getting there first, scholars will say that John, is, John was younger than Peter, and so that's kind of why they say that, played out that way. But uh, John gets there first. Sure enough, the tomb is open and empty, and John sort of peeks his head in the entrance, but he, but he doesn't go in, is what our story says. And we're given these details here about the strips of cloth, or linen is what this translation says, lying there. These linen cloths were a part of the burial process of the Jewish people. Uh, they would take a, a, a body and they would wrap the body in all sorts of cloth and they would put spices and fragrances and different things and then that's how they would prepare the body to put it into a tomb. And so here we have the linen cloths that they used in this way. And so John looks at this and he sees the burial cloths lying there but the body is gone. Now, at this point, John is not yet thinking resurrection. John is thinking somebody did this. Somebody has taken Jesus' body. But these details of the burial cloths and burial clothes, like laying there, uh, would have been puzzling. Think about this for a moment. As John's looking at this, he has to be thinking, someone has not only taken the body, but for some reason, like, they took the time to unwrap the body and leave that stuff there. That doesn't make any sense if you're stealing a body. Would you agree? I mean, if you're going to take a body, you don't want to unwrap it, wrap it and take the naked body. Let's just be weird here for a second together, okay? You're going to take the cloth with it. And so John's like, what's going on here? Why is the cloth there in, in that way? John is setting up the story here. He's, he's foreshadowing and in, in telling his story. John sees all that, but he doesn't go in the tomb. Peter gets there. He's breathing heavy. You know, you can feel John telling the story. In fact, I love the, I love the word that John uses here. He says, Peter finally arrived. Did you see that? Did you catch that word that he uses? Peter finally, finally he arrives. And, and Peter, Peter just walks right into the tomb, which is so like Peter. Just like, I'm just barges around, and that's just what we have, Peter. Um, Peter also sees the grave cloth lying there. He also notices that the part that was covering Jesus' head is like separate, and so they're going, what's going on? And, and I want you to picture with me the moment when it clicks, because all of a sudden, the idea here that somebody has taken the body looks kind of foolish, and and it no longer makes sense. Verse 9, finally, the other disciple would reach the tomb first, also went inside. That's John. He, he saw and believed. The other disciple, he saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. And at this point, Mary Magdalene is going to take kind of center stage in our story again. Uh, the disciples, these two, Peter and John, have now left they, they believe. Jesus is risen. They don't know what to do. Who knows how long they stood there, but they're like, uh, okay, and they go, and they leave. Mary stays, and then we get verse number 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been. They were not there with Peter and John. This is something new. Okay? One at the head and the other at the feet of where Jesus, this is where Jesus would have been lying. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. Mary is weeping, 
like, can you feel this moment? She's there now all alone again. She doesn't know what to do. Uh, from some of her story in her past, which we'll touch on in a bit, you wonder if she even had anywhere to go. And so she's still there, and there are two, she peeks in the tomb, there are two angels sitting there where Jesus' body had been. They ask her, like, why are you crying? It's kind of a funny question, if you can picture this happening right here. Why are you crying? Uh, two angels just show up, don't miss this, but Mary just doesn't seem impressed, does she? Like, I would have been like, how'd you get in here? What are you doing here? Why are you glowing? You know, like, what's going on here? I don't know. But like, uh, when she responds, they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have put him. If this was me, I would have probably taken a slight break in the morning uh, section and the weeping and been like, there are stinking angels right here talking to me, okay? But she's just not impressed. She's not impressed by this. Verse 14, and uh, here's where everything kind of comes together. Uh, At this, she turned around, And she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, he said, or she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go get him. All the craziness here with Peter and John and everything they figured out and believe now, the angels that have shown up, Mary still does not believe. She's not put this all together for some reason. And Jesus shows up and they start talking, but she doesn't recognize him for one reason or the other, okay? I, uh, there's arguments about why that is and we don't, have, we don't need to get into that. But she thinks he's like the gardener there and he's talking to her. But then verse number 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell me. Jesus is basically saying, I'm not going to be here uh, forever. And things are going to be different. I'm going to be leaving still, is what he's, okay? I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. And that is John's version of the resurrection story. Uh, Jesus is not in the grave anymore. He is alive. That's, that's the story. But before we go home uh, today and eat ham and peeps, or maybe you made like a peep glaze for your ham, maybe, or whatever it is that you did. But before we go home and, and do family stuff or whatever else, uh, allow me to just make a few observations about the resurrection story from the Bible. Number one, number one, symbolically here it's everywhere. The resurrection story is about new life and new beginnings, okay? Uh, And it may not feel much like spring today outside, but it's fitting that the Easter season and that the resurrection of Jesus happens right in the middle of spring for us, uh, where we see life come from what is dead. Where, where grass begins to turn green again. And I had this one little patch that was starting to turn green. I really did, okay? And now it's gone again. But, you know, it, the, the leaves are going to start growing again, and we're going to plant our gardens, and we're going to see life come from death is what we see here in, in, in spring. That which was frozen and dead now comes alive. 
that is spring for us. It's also the first day of the week, and, and we, we touched on this just a little bit. And the setting takes place in a garden. We see she, she thinks he's the gardener. There is, outside of the tomb, as Jesus was thought to be like this just beautiful, beautiful area uh, of life. Everything here is symbolic behind the scenes. First day of the week, the garden, the timing of all of this, dead things coming to life. It's early in the morning, darkness is disappearing, and beauty and light are like showing up in this moment. Easter is a story of dead things coming back to life, and Jesus raising from the dead is just the beginning of the Easter story. It's just, it's just the beginning, and we just so believe that God is still raising things back to life. People who were dead in their sin and dead in their junk and in their life uh, now have life in this risen Savior and Lord. Easter is just symbolically behind the scenes. If you dive into this, it is, there's so much about new life and new beginnings that is in this, and it's such a beautiful, such a beautiful thing. Number two, I love this, and this is kind of like an addition to number one is what we see. The resurrection story includes an unlikely person with a messy past. Who am I talking about? Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene. It is crazy that Mary Magdalene is the star of this. I mean, besides Jesus coming out of the tomb, but you get the idea, all right? Uh, like, if you were going to write a book or a movie about the resurrection of Jesus, you would not choose Mary Magdalene as the co-star. You just, you just wouldn't. Why? Multiple reasons here. Let me touch on them quickly. First, she's a woman. And before you get all like upset at me and because I just the glaring, you can stop right there. We're talking about a very different culture here and a very different time period, and things are very, very different than they are right here. If you take, if you take you know, women in America a hundred years ago or whatever, and you multiply it by about a hundred, you have Middle East back then. You understand? Okay, a woman in this time period of Jesus could not even testify in court. Couldn't testify. They couldn't say what happened. They were not believable. They were not, I don't know what it is here with this, but just understand you would not have a woman as the eyewitness person in this story if you were, if you were creative, you were making this up, okay? Uh, you, you just didn't do that. Second, uh, for the most part, the only real information that we have about Mary Magdalene is that at some point she was possessed by seven demons. Let me show you this quickly. Okay, this is from Luke chapter 8, and Mary Magdalene does not show up very much in, in, in the Bible. Just a handful of times. This is like the main one. After this, Jesus traveled from one town and village to another. This is during Jesus' ministry where he's traveling around, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. We don't have a whole lot of information about what that means and what that looks like, but I think we can all agree that having seven demons inside of you is not a super cool and clean and awesome thing. Would you nod your head with me and let's just make an assumption. Yeah, that's, so at some point in this story of Mary Magdalene and Jesus, their paths like, uh, crossed, and she has this incredible encounter with Jesus, and, and these demons, whatever that means, whatever that looks like, left her, and we have her following Jesus along even with the 12. 
is what we have, okay? This is the beauty of this story. An unlikely character starring in the most important event in human history. A mess of a woman in her past. Like a woman with a past, a woman like with who knows what. Who knows what she grew up with or how she got to where she was. We don't know any of that, but we can assume that she is just filled with a mess of a mess. And somewhere along the lines, everything changed for her. But we have a woman who cannot testify in court who had seven demons in her past as one of the very stars of the resurrection story. And I'm just telling you, this is not by accident. This is 100% on purpose, put in, like ordained and put together by God himself of how this would take place. We are, we are in this beautiful garden at this time, on this very day, all of this like, symbolic of new life and new beginnings. And who walks up first? A woman who used to be a train wreck and is now something because of Jesus. And she's the star of this. It's such a beautiful, symbolic thing. All of this overlapping today. And finally, and that, that like brings us to kind of where we're going and bringing all of this. Finally today, this story is not just a story from 2,000 years ago. Don't miss this. The resurrection story brings hope to us today. This is not just about then. It's not just about that. Not just about Mary Magdalene and her situation and her story. This is a story of God doing new things. This is a story of God bringing dead things like back to life. It's a story with a broken, messy people who have been put back together. And all of this points us to a God who is still moving and still working and still doing incredible things today. And in fact, if I were to go around this room right now, I could tell you story after story after story of people who had messy pasts of people who did things that they're not proud of, places they went and things they did and people they hurt along the way. And now because of Jesus, things have been put back together and what was dead is now became new. That's some of your story, isn't it? Yeah, come on. That's so, that's so good. God is still working in the messiest of situations, bringing hope to hopelessness, bringing death to life, darkness to life, beauty out of ashes is a phrase the Bible says. And God holds all of that out in front of us as this free gift, this free gift of grace. That's grace, undeserved favor is what that means. We don't deserve it. There's nothing we can do to earn it. It's the grace of God. Music team, will you please come? Now, before we go today, uh, like I, I want us to just take a few minutes here together for a time of prayer um, and reflection. And, and I understand something. Don't, don't tune me out. I know that we've got some good-looking people walking up on the stage and all of that type of stuff, okay? Uh, but don't miss this right here. On Easter Sunday, we have all sorts of, we have all sorts of people that, that come through the doors of a church who maybe aren't churchy people or whatever that means. And maybe you're here because of a family member and a family thing. Maybe you're here because someone invited you. Maybe you're here because, because something this week just kind of was in your mind said I should go this week. And like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know your situation. I don't know where you're at in your spiritual journey. Um, but I do know this, like God, God is real. And there's a God 
that's not just out there somewhere. This is a God that deeply cares about his creation, and that is you. Deeply, deeply cares, and a God who desires desperately to be in relationship with, with you. And today, there's just this invitation from God to accept this beautiful gift, a free gift, the gift of grace and the gift of forgiveness, a God who brings life from dead things and light from darkness. And, and I, don't, I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. It's here for you today. Will you stand with me all over this place? The Bible tells us this story over 1,600 years, written by 40 different people. Like it's this massive, incredible thing. We consider it the very word of God, but the story from the very beginning is a God who created people and created them to be in this beautiful relationship with him. It was in the garden. It was this incredible thing. And from the very beginning, people turned their back on him. God created and gave us a choice of how we are going to live and who we are going to serve. And from the very beginning, we as people have chosen to serve ourselves. And that sounds like a horrendous thing and, and selfish and whatever else, but like it's, it's the reality of the situation is we, is we have looked out for number one uh, for our entire lives. And God is just desperate He's desperate to have this relationship with people, yet he cannot, he cannot like coexist with sin. It's, it's against his very nature. And so in his beauty and in his goodness, he sends his very son to die as this horrendous penalty for our sin. That's the story of the Bible. People walked away, God made a way, and God opened up the door and grace and forgiveness and he opens his hands and says here is this gift that I have given you just need to take it just accept it and it's this beautiful thing that he has done for some of us in this place like you you have never made a decision for yourself to accept this free gift of grace I'm not talking about going to church or being baptized or confirmed like that's not what this is this heart moment we are saying, yes, I put my trust in you, God. I put my trust in you, Jesus, and what you did, and I received this. And it's this beautiful moment on the inside. And with no one looking around, just every eye closed for just a moment of privacy and reflection here before we're done. Who in this place would just be honest with me and say, you know what? I have never, I've never made that decision for myself. I've never done that. And I want to do that today. I want to accept what Jesus did for me and receive that gift. If that's you, will you just show me your hand? Just show me your hand. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Anybody else that would say, yes, today is my day. Today is my day, and I want to do that. I want to give, give my life to him and receive what he has given. Anyone else? Just a moment longer. If you're watching online right now, you can, like, you can respond to this as well. It's a heart thing. There's even a button that you can click and you can go through that process. Anyone else? All right, church, let's just pray this together. Pray, Father God, I give you my life. Thank you for sending Jesus. 
to die for me, forgive me of my sins, and change my life. In your name I pray. Amen.